What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. We're talking earthquakes today. If you live in California, you've likely felt one uh, in recent days, maybe more than one. And turns out, we have lots of little ones all of the time. That's what it means to live in earthquake country. We are joined today by Andrew Alden, science writer and founder of a weekly blog on the geology of Oakland. He previously worked as a technical editor at the United States Geological Survey. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Kat. Thanks so nice much. Nice to be back. Nice to, to talk to you again. I, I want to um, just start with the science of it, right? Super basic question. Um, but what is an earthquake exactly? What triggers them and what is the earth doing when she reminds us humans exactly how powerless we really are? An earthquake is a release of energy that is built up in two bodies of rock on the opposite side of a fault, which is a large crack in the ground. When that crack ruptures, the two sides of the fault release their energy, that is elastic energy that is built up inside the rocks, as if you imagine them being giant blocks of rubber, very, very stiff rubber. So when they snap back, all that energy is released in the form of pressure waves, which go out in all directions, including up to the surface, down into the earth, and out in all directions. Walk us through the fault line or fault lines that run through Oakland specifically in the Bay Area in general. Well, for Oakland, of course, it's the Hayward Fault, which runs from Point Pinole down to about Alum Rock, east of San Jose. Uh, Oakland is right in the middle of it. Oakland has the largest share of that fault, and we really ought to call it the Oakland Fault, but it's called the Hayward Fault uh, simply because the signs of it are very strong. They're very pronounced there. You can go downtown Hayward and see all these offsets on the roads and so on. But the fault has also shaped Oakland's and the whole East Bay's landscape. That's why we have this beautiful range of hills on the east and this lowland on the right, uh, on the west, excuse me, with the Bay Area uh, dropped down in a basin. Now, on the other side of that basin, in the San Mateo Hills, is the San Andreas Fault. Those are the two main faults that define the Bay Area seismic hazard. There are also lesser faults on either side and in between, but those are the two main ones. You said once, uh, I, I believe it was to me, but it could be just in me reading things that you said, that there is a two in three chance that the next big quake will be in the Bay Area. What is the science that allows you to predict that? The, uh, the experts of the U.S. Geological Survey sit down every couple of years and go through the science, which is we have two different main explanations of how earthquakes behave. And what they do is they kind of split the difference between them. So we, the, the forecast they come up with is inherently fuzzy. And even if they settle on their one preferred hypothesis, their one preferred theory, it may not improve the odds, but it's basically based on the historical record, which we could tell about just from printed records back to the beginning of the Spanish era, and also from field studies which involve digging trenches across the fault and looking for signs of prehistoric earthquakes, large ones that have actually ruptured the ground. When you put those together, we go back about 2,000 years 
And that's the record we, that's all we have to work with. And that tells us that about on the Haber Fault, over the last 2,000 years, about on average of 150 years apart, we have major ground rupturing earthquakes. And it's, of course, it's been about 150 years since the last one, which was in October 21st, 1868. And so that is, that's, that's the average, but it's a very wide-ranging average. The intervals between these large earthquakes vary between 95 and about 250 years. So yeah, that, that's how they come up with the odds. Talk to me about what parts of the city may be more impacted than other, and specifically talk to me about the parts of the city where buildings are built on liquefax soil. Well, I'm glad you pointed that out because, you know, I hear from people who are looking at property up on the hills and they're saying, my, my goodness, the fault runs right through or right next to my property. What about that? And yeah, the odds of the ground actually ripping apart under your million dollar home. Uh, you, you want to worry about that if you're right on the fault. If you're right near it, the hazard is just as great from strong shaking. And uh, depending on the ground you're sitting on, uh, the, the hazard varies. And like you say, you want to worry about liquefaction, uh, which, is, which mainly hits the lowlands and bayshore areas. And that's where most people live. And Andrew, if you could just like walk through, just walk through what what that means. I'm talking a little in, insider baseball. What what does liquefaction mean, and what will it mean to structures that are sitting on top of it when the earthquake hits? And specifically, I'm thinking about the bottoms uh, of West Oakland. Uh, liquefaction affects soft ground, soft ground that consists of thick layers of sediment and, and bay mud and not much bedrock. Um, what happens to earthquake waves when they enter soft ground is they slow down and they change their wavelength, both of which act to concentrate the energy that uh, the motion, especially at slow frequencies that affect buildings. And so the, uh, the ground in liquefaction prone areas tends to lose its strength and because it's all water saturated, the water tends to erupt and uh, it just, it kind of reinforces itself. And uh, at anything in the ground, on the ground, under the ground, like railroad tracks, electrical lines, BART tracks, water lines, they can all be affected by liquefaction. Now, you see, I'm really glad that you talked about the BART tracks because one of the things I think about often when I'm getting, uh, when I'm on the BART going from Oakland and, and San Francisco, and there's that piece where we go underground. Yeah. What would happen if we're underground and a magnitude seven earthquake hits and we're on the train there? Well, you'd hate it. It would be a terrible experience. <laughs> okay. But BART, on, in the, BART underground is, is probably the safest place to be. Oh. because the uh, shaking is less intense down there. And of course, the uh, structure is very strongly designed to resist shaking. So yeah, you'll be riding in the car, the lights will flicker, you'll, you'll slow down, slow down very quickly, and you'll get rattled around in your seats. It'll be a terrible experience. Uh, you know, it'll just be a terrible experience. But because... BART was early, uh, early subscriber to the 
of research efforts that have brought us the shake alert system, yeah. they get early warnings and they've been using that successfully for uh, at least a decade now. So the train will slow down well in advance, uh, 15, 20 seconds before the shaking hits. Um, unless, of course, they're right on the fault, but that's not true underneath the bay. There are no faults under the bay itself. So you'll get warning. The train will slow down. Uh, I think they probably make an announcement, mm -hmm. you know, on a, like you'll get on your phone if you sign up for Shake Alert or My Shake. So, you know, to that extent, it'll be a better experience than anyone else has. Well, I hope your answering that question does for other folks what it just did for me. I, I, I now can let go of those nightmares every time I go under. Um, let's move above ground, Andrew Alden. You know, much ado was made about improving the structural integrity of the Bay Bridge. What if you're on that bridge when one hits? Well, it'll be scary. It'll be ugly, but nothing will fall down around you. Uh, cars, I think you'll have to worry more about what other drivers are doing. <laughs> Yeah, that's used. Uh, that's that's serious. You know, a lot a lot of drivers will have their shake alert system. They'll get a warning, and what to do is you need to just take your foot off the gas and look around you and make sure nobody is swerving in your direction, or shrieking to a stop in front of you, or rushing up behind you. You know, the kind of thing you need to be alert anytime you're in rush hour traffic. Okay. I'm, I'm so using this to deal with all of my own anxiety. So I want to thank you for the answers to those two questions. Um, Andrew, we have all this information, right? Our municipalities, they have the information. Our city government certainly knows um, that all of this is a, a potential thing or, or, or a guaranteed thing that at some point is going to happen. Um, what should municipalities be doing and how are we doing, uh, let's say, in Oakland to prepare for this uh, inevitable event? Well, our emergency, emergency managers have been working with their peers, the FEMA, the federal agency, the California State Emergency Office of Emergency Services, and uh, they've, been, they've been drilling for years. Your fire departments, your major utilities, the water agencies, the power agencies, uh, they've been working on this behind the scenes all along. But yeah, if you go to the city website, there's not a lot there. Uh, I think they're relying on the USGS, and that's where I always go, earthquakes.usgs.gov for all my background information from the scientific research to the practical advice. And for those of us who will be home uh, when this happens, um, what are some common misconceptions about this, the best places to hide and what should people actually do? All of us who are old enough or were taught or heard it from everyone else, you should run and stand in a doorway. Doorways are strong places. Well, it's only true if you're in a uh, adobe building or a very old uh, unreinforced masonry building. And there aren't any of those around anymore. Um, so you don't need to run, stand in a doorway. In fact, you should not run at all. Don't, don't try and stand up. If you stand up, you'll fall down. If you fall down, you'll break something, you know? Uh, the thing to do is drop. If you're sitting in a chair like we are, <clears throat> uh, either hang onto your chair or push the chair aside and duck underneath 
the nearest strong thing in front of you. In my case, it's my, uh, it's my desk. And if you're under your desk, nothing, you know, anything that falls on you is going to fall on the desk. And the other thing you need to do is, is drop and cover. I said, you drop your cover and hold on to your desk because your desk is going to move around too and you want to keep it on top mm. of you. So you drop, you cover, and you hold on. And you hold on as, for as long as the shaking lasts. And uh, for a magnitude 7 earthquake, it'll be about 30 seconds. And that will feel really long. So hang on for as long as it takes. And even then, it will, you'll, you'll still feel jiggling, but still, if you feel like you can safely move around, get up, and uh, the next thing you should do is get ready to leave. Get ready to leave and go where? Well, that's where your earthquake plan kicks in. Uh, if, you're, if your house is standing, your apartment building is, is secure, you know, windows haven't smashed, stay where you are. Maybe send a text alert to someone out of town to let your family know you're okay. Mm. And uh, otherwise, you know, stay off, stay off your phone. Uh, don't try and live stream what's happening. People will do that. Try not to because you're going to jam up the internet. Mm. Uh, and, and stay still and keep calm. Locate your essential things. Uh, get your go bag together. And then be ready to set out, <laughs> and that depends on your particular plan. My, my particular plan, you know, my, my plan isn't any better than anyone else's. But basically, I'll go outside with my bag, ready to relocate anywhere. Now, I don't have a car, so I'm not going to worry about my car. Probably the bus lines will all be stopped, BART will be stopped, the trains will be stopped. So there really won't be anything you can do. To, to bug out of town uh, for a while. You're just going to be on your own. You're going to have to, the thing to do is look around you and see wherever you can be helpful, whether that's calming other people, putting out fires, you know, things like that. It will, it, the base, basically, you want to be calm and be helpful. It, you figure the drugstores will be, their, their windows might be broken. Their doors might be open. You should feel free to go in and help yourself from a from an open drugstore, from a from a grocery store. That this, don't consider this looting. It's availing yourself of essential supplies, and you should also pay attention to any fire trucks, police, um, and ambulances. You know, emergency responders. If they have things to tell you, listen to them. I think those are the main pieces of earthquake advice I have. After that, well, yeah, I want to go out and take pictures of seismic <laughs> effects. I want to do that. And people should be encouraged to do that in their neighborhood. You know, if you're up in the hills where the ground is breaking, it can be very helpful to take pictures of the fractures and measure it because they'll, they'll move during the earthquake and they'll move after the earthquake. And those two... Um, types of movement are of great interest to scientists. So yeah, do that too. 
All right, Andrew Alden, we are going to leave it there with your words of wisdom about what to do, not if, but when the big one hits. Y'all are listening to Law and Disorder. I'm your host, Kat Brooks. We've been speaking to Andrew Alden, science writer and founder of a weekly blog on the geology of Oakland. He previously worked as a technical editor at the United States Geological Survey. Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. Do all we got, fam. <laughs>